Hello and welcome to The Property Puzzle, the podcast helping you piece together the industry and your property career. My name is Michael Truce and I'm from Indigo. I'm from the Property Council of Australia's Future Directions Committee, which is bringing you today's podcast. This season of The Property Puzzle podcast is called The Trends Piece. We ask our guests about some of the major trends they're seeing in the industry, how they see these trends affecting young professionals, as well as the industry more broadly. This morning, I'm lucky to be joined by Christian Graham, Head of Home at uh, Grocon's Residential Division. Welcome, Christian. Hey, Michael. Great to be with you. Thanks, mate. Christian, maybe first off, would you like to tell the audience about yourself and your background and how you got to where you're at today? Sure. I've been in the property industry for a little over 20 years. I started uh, with a valuations degree, so a Bachelor of Business in Property from RMIT in Melbourne, and uh, I was lucky enough to work for uh, one of the listed uh, residential developers or listed developers in Australia. When I started working for that group, we, we had a staff of about 30 in Melbourne where I started, and I, I grew with that company and ultimately ended up looking after their apartments division. That role over the 20 years took me from Melbourne uh, to Brisbane for about four and a half years, uh, to the UK for about two and a half years to establish a development uh, business, and then back to Australia to, uh, to with a national role. So uh, learnt a lot over that journey. And uh, in the last couple of years, I've been with uh, Grocon uh, looking after their residential projects and more recently on Build to Rent. Christian, um, so today we're talking about Build to Rent in Australia, and that is a trend. It's a it's a very prominent one that you see around the place. Could you explain to our listeners exactly what is Build to Rent and why over the next two to three years is it becoming increasingly important in yeah. Australia? Sure, Michael. Probably the best place to start with is, is a definition because there is no set definition for what Build to Rent is. So that's, that's probably the best place to start. And I, I would say that um, you define Build to Rent as purpose designed for institutional sized uh, projects that will generally be owned by a wholesale investor like a pension fund for long-term rental with active on-site management. Maybe Christian you could explain to the listeners what is it about build the sort of large institutional grade assets that is distinguishing themselves from say the student housing of the past and um, the sort of specialist uh, sites, you know, where where now they're becoming increasingly focused on sort of residential and multiple yeah. families living in, yep. in in the development. Well, built to rent is not a not a completely new concept. Um, private families, you know, businesses from time to time in Australia have owned individual buildings. Typically, they've been smaller in scale and they've and often been done by a you know family builder developer and they've held them for for income and a bit of capital growth over time. Everyone's familiar with the old six-pack. That's right, exactly right. What's different about this is pension fund uh, or superannuation fund is looking to invest large sums of money over long periods of time as part of uh, an investment portfolio. So typically, pension fund will have an allocation to to shares and then they might have some to property. And then within property, they're then looking at a, a variety of sectors. So, you know, of course, they'll have they'll have some retail. They might have some office. These days, they might have some student accommodation in mm-hmm. the last couple of years. And build to rent is really the next frontier of all of that. Now, if you're a pension fund that's global, of which there are many, you have two challenges. One is to uh, deploy capital uh, to management groups that you that you trust to look after that money and, and grow it in line with your, your objectives. And in finding those investment opportunities, you'll be looking in the Northern Hemisphere and you're probably looking in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, 
Um, the challenge has been over recent years, a lot, of, a lot of groups that are invested in what they call multifamily in the Northern Hemisphere, which is essentially build to rent, um, have been looking at Australia and saying, why can't we get that diversification? Why can't we get that exposure in Australia? Mm. And so, Because they've already got those assets that's elsewhere right. in the world. Yeah, so they're well-versed in it. They understand the characteristics of the asset. And so they're now looking for that opportunity in Australia. In the US, build to rent accounts for um, about 25% of wholesale real estate investment wow. behind only office, yep. which is about 35%. So 35% roughly in office, 25% allocation in what they call multifamily over there. So you can see that it's a very big part of their portfolios. Yep. And there are a variety of, um, of pension funds from around the world that are invested into that market. And that's been happening for 20 or 30 years at least. A lot of those investors in the last five to 10 years have been investing then in uh, the newer market in the UK. So London and now many other cities in the UK uh, have, uh, have built to rent opportunities to invest and that's, that's been occurring. And so Australia is really the next frontier. And so what are, what's a typical sort of build to rent type building look like? Like how many apartments, where are they usually located? Yeah, generally to get that the, the scale of asset that can um, amortise the cost of the active on-site management and the ability to provide um, you know, great service to the customers, generally that, that it's going to be certainly north of 100 apartments and probably what you'll see uh, in Australia over coming years with the first buildings to be completed I would say that they'll generally be greater than 200, probably mm -hmm. even 300 apartments to, to get that, that scale to, to amortise the service offering um, across it. So it sounds to me like one of the characteristics of these, this trend is around the built form as an investment target that, that sort of works together with what comes out of the ground as well as who's behind the project and that is they give scale and diversification um, of property assets to very large uh, investors who need to deploy that that money in Australia. That's right. And they've got this experience overseas and, and they're looking here to see, well, how do we replicate it? That's right. And and um, you know, I think your listeners will have read that in the, in the last uh, couple of years, the first mover groups such as ourselves uh, that, are, that are investing in projects and, you know, actively have projects coming out of the ground now, um, Generally, they'll have they'll have overseas uh, partners that are working with them mm -hmm. um, to provide capital. Uh, I think that in coming years, you'll um, you'll you'll see once the once the first buildings are, are open and people can look and touch and feel and and really understand the quality of the customer experience and um, and see those cash flows. Uh, I think you'll see the Australian superannuation funds come into the sector. In Christian, what in Australia, in the sector here, is driving sort of build to rent, apart from sort of those investment characteristics and what we understand sort of built form may look like for a typical project, what's really behind it? Like, um, particularly from, you've talked about the users of the space, and I think earlier in the season we talked about placemaking. Um, could you talk our audience through sort of what build to rent offers in that respect? Yeah, sure. That that that's a great question because we could we could talk about capital all day because um, yeah because it's, it's, it's essentially an investment class from a property yep. point of view. But you're right. Really, the the bigger driver behind all of this is is what's happening with consumers. So there's a, there's a couple of really large trends that are behind this. One is just that affordability generally in Australia and a lot of places around the world. But let's stay with Australia. Is you know is really tough. You know to to get out there and and buy. 
a first home or apartment, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney these days, is you know it's going to be out of the reach of a lot of people, yeah. particularly where they want to live. Alongside that, people just don't feel that same need to own things like they used to. I mean, we're all familiar with you know you know what uh, what the iPod did to music. Well, yep. you know we, we we're seeing that happen in real estate. We're seeing fractional ownership. We're seeing people either defer home ownership or, or you know. Rent vesting is a That's huge it. trend these yeah. days. So uh, the trend towards renting has increased. And then, you know, t- technology and uh, what we've come to expect as a consumer from, you know, our, the experience that we take from from our interactions with products and services that we, that we engage with every day, it, our expectations are just so much higher. So, uh, you know, our build-to-rent projects – our, our vision for those is, is, is a fairly uh, or is a very um, service rich offering. So high quality spaces, but with high quality service that goes alongside those as well. And so we see that the general experience of renting for most people uh, is, is not what it could be. And there's a, there, there's a market there, um, there's a market there to be serviced for, so- a, for a high quality rental experience with, uh, with those services. And so, Christian, just to expand on that, like what what uh, say Grocon and, and leaders in the industry doing to create that additional value in these developments? Like, what does it look like to distinguish, say, the user experience of renting in one of these sort of cutting edge build to rent developments versus going for sort of an older sort of pre built rental property that's sort of isolated in a managed pool somewhere in an equally nice place yeah at, look at its mo- at its most basic level there's a greater alignment between the between the customer and the owner of the real estate because uh, the 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 owner has a vested interest in wanting to um, keep the tenant because less turnover means more consistent revenue mm-hmm. keep keep the tenant keep them happy because if they stay they're more likely to recommend that building to their friends and if they're happy they're also more likely to um to want to take on other uh, services that you might provide within that business. So mm-hmm. there's, there's, that, there's that greater alignment. Uh, there's also a, a vested interest from, uh, from the build-to-rent owner to keep that building in much better condition. Mm-hmm. And so some of the things that we've seen over recent years with you know, building defects and so forth, I think that uh, the, the, the mm, it's a great point. Build-to-rent certainly should, uh, should uh, avert some of that. Because you can see, you certainly see, um, particularly sort of from my experience in flatland residential space, where you've got a master plan community with thousands of lots and custody with one single owner for many, many years, there's absolutely a deep interest in the developer and the owner of the, that asset as it's absolutely. evolving to create value and to keep the value yeah. there, to protect the estate, to protect the customers, yeah. to make it a phenomenal place. Otherwise, it's potentially no different than the six pack down the road, it seems to me a real advantage um, to have that sort of single owner that can create those additional sort of services and a bit more community around sort of one one owner, one sort of manager who really cares about the long-term value of the place. There's there's a statistic that I've heard overseas, which is that once you know three people in your building, you're 90% 90 more likely to stay on at your next lease renewal. So you can see, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, very clear uh, indication that that investment in community yep. um, you know, is completely aligned between the yep. between the resident and the and the owner, um, and so I think that's a benefit for everyone. And so, Chris, what are some of the barriers you're seeing in the industry um, affecting sort of its expansion um, in Australia? 
Oh, certainly the certainly the tax environment in Australia is not as uh, friendly as it is in other parts of the world. Pretty much everywhere in the world, where we've seen a build to rent sector emerge, and and um, the UK is probably the best, most recent example post GFC. Um, all levels of government uh, worked together with the industry to get the sector off the ground, mm-hmm. and then they adjusted the settings once once it was up and running and the investors and the industry and the state could see it up and running and and uh, and you had an industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they adjusted the tax settings back a little bit. you got to work together. So tax is a, is a really big one. Um, what does that mean for the listeners? Land tax at a state level uh, is particularly onerous and so... I think the industry would like to see a little bit of land tax relief. At a, at a federal level, uh, I'd, I'd love to see some other concessions perhaps in the GST, but uh, but that's that's maybe a little harder to deal with. But, it, but in the first instance, faster planning, a designated use category and land tax relief would be a great place to start just to get the industry up and running for, for you know, maybe a five to 10 year period. It seems that the industry has a lot to value, lot lot to contribute in affordable housing and access to housing. So, those sort of while we it'll be beyond sort of the scope of today to talk in depth about those tax issues, those sort of structural problems seem to be one where people who are interested in this space need to keep an eye um, to see sort of how it's evolving, um, so that they can sort of understand how build to rent can be contributing um, in in different sort of built form and um, not quite the missing middle, but more effective affordable housing that people actually want to live in rather than going out to sort of, um, I'm not sure about the Victorian example, but say sort of far west Ipswich in in Brisbane to um, be able to afford the sort of place they want to live in. That's and Michael, that's a great point. I mean, the the version of build to rent that that I'm talking about is clearly at the upper end of the of the continuum. So it's a that's that's designed for someone that has a good disposable income to be able to spend on discretionary services and, and to live in in a Melbourne or in a mm. Sydney, which which are expensive places to live in a relative sense. I think one of the things that we'll see over coming years is as the industry gets up and running, it will segment. There will be groups that will find niches and someone will find a version of it that is, that's much more affordable. Mm-hmm. Someone will find a mixed tenure solution, I'm sure, and someone will probably find a, a green field or, t- or townhouse model that works in build to rent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be really exciting for the listeners, uh, some of the people that are a little younger than myself, yeah. uh, to, uh, to see and be part of that emergence as the, as the sector segments. I think, um, well, I'm not an expert in the space. One of my few sort of exposures to it was understanding some of the communities were built in New York to house yeah. sort of critical employees that were perhaps not always pure be built to rent, but that were very much sort of single owner, single uh, developer driven communities that were there to create affordable and accessible housing. Yeah. And to me, that seems an exciting potential um, for, for the industry in the future in, in Australia. But certainly one that perhaps will rely on um, sort of removing some of the barriers to yeah. taxation and sort of development inefficiencies yeah. um, potentially. That's a, it's a great point. I mean, one of the benefits of build to rent is that obviously you don't have the pre-sales challenge that you do uh, on a typical large residential project. And, and typically you also don't have um, the same financing constraints because most often the, the, the capital or the financing um, has been organised before you've gone out and, and, and secured the project. Where, where you are developing a new precinct, built to rent can certainly uh, provide 
the ability to accelerate or, and, and kickstart those, um, those precinct developments. And not to say that you might not do mm. conventional residential after, but, but when you're trying to get a critical mass early for placemaking and, uh, and to, to generate land value back perhaps for the state in a, in a government example, built to rent can certainly provide positive benefits there. Um, a really interesting thought there, Christian. It, what jumps to my mind, again, being a bit Queensland biased, is something like the uh, Cross River Rail. But a lot of our um, major capital cities have projects where the state is absolutely the prime um, sort of deal sponsor, so to speak, and they're in charge of the tenders um, where they're grappling with, well, what do we replace these excellent and you know, very rare inner city lots with where we were doing redevelopment where we're reclaiming land Mm. do we do parks do we do commercial it seems that build to rent answers a lot of problems um whether it's at the sort of premium end or or at the lower end in being able to provide sort of access to different types of housing but also that density of of population within a place that potentially those sort of state projects could benefit from rather than just sort of having commercial development over new um, sort of rail portals for for example is that something that the industry is thinking of like how how those sort of mixed use developments might benefit from build to rent projects yeah i i I think that the prevalence of of mixed use developments is is increasing anyway you know irrespective of what of what's happening in the build to rent space i think we're going to see more mixed use in our cities uh particularly in those infrastructure type settings as well um we're going to see that anyway from the build to rent perspective yes i think it absolutely um has a strength to bring in that context as well because you know a single owner has to be easier to deal with than multiple owners and in a lot of instances um that owner uh will will probably be happy to hold other assets such as, you know, if there's a childcare centre uh, for the sake of the example, or there's a retail lot or there's some office, th- that owner in a lot of instances is going to be happy to hold and or develop those mm. uses as well to, to get the, um, the, let's call it the place off the ground. And, and those other uses could defray the cost of the place being developed and the That's single right. user presumably allows so as a partner to the state, as a landholder, for example, a single user to deal with some potentially more complex um, problems around um, a broader mix of affordable housing and what that means, yeah. the partnerships involved. It's not just about bringing a single tenant in. That That's right. Potentially more complex needs. Well, r- residential mixed tenure, definitely. You, I think you can deal with that, particularly key worker. I mm. think that's... Um, I think it's pretty pretty easy to see that integrated. Um, it's just a question of economics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, once you get to social housing and so forth, there's a specialty in the way that that needs to be managed. There's efficiencies in operation that need to be thought about. But certainly key worker housing, you could see that integrated as part of a package um, pretty easily. Yeah. Um, w- w- from the placemaking point of view, a lot of the, and the listeners will know, a lot of the challenge um, is often the curation of the retail and the um, and the community creation, mm. uh, the events, um, the managing the vacancies in the retail when you in the early days. When you've got a single owner of the residential asset and the retail, you can see all of that curation and community creation happening more mm. easily. And for the reasons that we talked about earlier, everyone has a vested interest in seeing a really fantastic place emerge that, that people want to be, whether they are there to work, there to live, there to shop, or there just to, to stop and enjoy themselves. You, you really have that alignment and that, um, and that uh, push for, for getting a great outcome. Yep. 
which which is I think a much better outcome for communities and just sort of throwing up the next vanilla bog standard type ABC apartment complex and yeah. seeing how it survives in the wild and releasing it. <laughs> That's right. Christian, do you um, sort of talking not to sort of labour the point of the of the affordable end of the spectrum, but um, do you see sort of community housing providers and that key worker accommodation? So rather, where do you see that fitting into the evolution of build to rent? Um, I know you talked about, you know, there may be people um, proponents who will occupy that space, and, and maybe maybe you're involved in those sort of things. Where do you think that will sort of um, be going in the next couple of years? Yeah, if I. Uh if I was to if I was to guess, I would say that it'll come through policy. I think it will see perhaps some tax concessions with an offset for for a requirement for um, from for some key worker housing. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. Um, I think in the government sponsored um, public housing renewal projects, I think you'll see you know the social housing and, and so forth, uh, the heavy lifting done in that space. Mm-hmm. So the government sponsored projects uh, where there's you know several thousand dwellings to be able to spread that load. And really drive the policy support for the concessions, whether it's tax or transfer costs or whatever the case may be. Christian, um, every sort of episode we like to ask um, a nailed it or failed it question. We sort of, where you reflect on in the build to rent space, perhaps in Australia, perhaps overseas, who do you think, or what projects do you think are examples of how it's been either nailed or how something could have been done better. I think the nailed it would be a lot of the, would be some of the projects that I've seen overseas. Yep. I don't think anyone's nailed it yet because because we don't we have very few examples of, of um, operating assets in are, Australia. Are there yet. any of those projects as you presumably would have seen sort of the best of them? Like, are there any that stand out to you in this space that people, our listeners, if they're interested, could look into more? Uh, I think that it, the property council tours to to the US and and the UK have um, have covered a lot of the um, have covered a lot of the, the best in class. Yep. Um, failed it. Well, perhaps it's you know perhaps it's that the government hasn't seen the the benefit that it could bring to placemaking and housing supply. Um, that's probably my failed it. Yeah, right. Without being too cheeky. No, I, we we didn't ask for anything too cheeky either. So, uh, but I mean, uh, there's a lot of talk around that space, and and those sort of policy challenges are always going to be challenges that need to be grappled with. Um, they are, and look, you know, in, in the end, the industry and the government have to work together um, uh, to get those great outcomes, and I think that we'll see that happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, earlier before the um, in the discussion started, I was talking to you about sort of my experience previously in the gas industry in Queensland, and that was certainly a product of similar sort of collaboration between different part, both industry, government and financiers, to be able to make an industry work and function in a fashion that had explosive growth in Queensland that otherwise might not have been able to without that collaboration. Um, Not to sort of um, draw um, connections between the two industries. But um, lastly, Christian, for our sort of younger listeners, what would your advice be for them to um, do or consider or um, turn their minds to with respect to keeping ahead of where Build to Rent is going and how it's going to be impacting our industry? I think you've just got to follow the trends. I think a, a really good place to start is just being curious and you know watching what's what, what's happening in the press, um, talking to other people in the industry. You know, you don't have to be an avid networker, but I think it always helps to go to events and hear what other people are up to, and maybe go and go and see and hear about things that aren't your sector that you work in day to day. 
and, and just have a curiosity and an awareness of them. And, and, and when you don't completely understand something, obviously ask the question. I think it is such a fantastic time for young people in the property industry to be coming in. Um, I think we've seen, you know, without being too cliche, I think we've just seen so much disruption in the last couple of years because of the, the, the you know, let's call it the end of the cycle that yep. we saw over the last 18 months, I think has meant that people have had to rethink how they approach residential. We've seen build to rent emerge. We've seen co-living emerge and co-living could be a whole other podcast yep. episode. We've seen the re-emergence of, of hotels. Um, I think it's just such a great time because that change is happening and invariably that creates opportunity. The change yeah. generates opportunity and if you have that curiosity and you're, you're out there and have an awareness for it, then you can grow with those opportunities. Um, you, you know, who, who knows what, uh, where, where it might take you in your working life. It's um, interesting uh, notion you, you raised there, Christian, this, the cyclical nation and notion, um, nature of our industry. Do you think um, for those young professionals who are going to be starting now and definitely working through a few cycles, these sort of institutional grade assets, do you think they're going to be more resilient to cyclical changes in the industry? I, th I think there's some, using the word resilience just sort of, um, yeah, caused me to think. I, I think when you read about um, yeah, perhaps the impact of climate change on cap rates and things like that, I, th I think we will see a lot of change in um, how do institutional um, owners of real estate uh, look at things like you know climate change and that that might you know shake up the way that you look at five different assets today yep. you know th th that sort of disruption I think is coming uh, fr from a wholesale investors point of view um, yes I think we'll see diff new and different capital coming to Australia I think we'll see a different sectors I think the the impact of climate change and public policy is going to to um, impact uh, what assets are seen as being better perhaps than others. Yep. And also I think the move to more mixed use just because of the scarcity of um, scarcity of available sites and the provision of new infrastructure means that new and different assets are going to are going to come to the fore and people will get used to mixed use assets and and there'll be a, a skill in knowing, you know, how to design those, how to deliver those, how to manage those, how to finance those. And I think for young listeners, they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to see that emerging before their eyes. And I think it's really exciting. Just to grab on to a very topical subject, um, climate change and its impact on our industry, as someone sort of, you know, in the midst of some really innovative and institutional grade asset development, how do you see climate change sort of impacting on your work in Build to Rent? and on sort of institutional assets more broadly? I think that there's two, there's two aspects to it. I think that there's becoming increasing pressure on, on you know, politicians, policymakers to, to deal with it. And I think uh, separately, there's, a, there's the consumer need. So where you're, where you're interfacing with the customer, whichever sector it is, um, I think it's got, we're beyond the point of it being marketing. Um, and I think that... that um, People want to understand what the, you know, the impact that the asset has on the climate, mm. and um, how can they be response? How can they be a responsible consumer in themselves? And mm. and um, and I think from the, the policy side, as, as I said, I think we're going to see a little more pressure on that. Now, I'm not I'm not uh, a sustainability professional. You know, I'm just observing the trend that I see outside. Um, yep. and, and looking at where, you know, where do I think that might go. And, and hearing some of those the sustainability professionals talk about whether it's a 
build to rent asset or a sort of new um, retail center talk about how they sort of particularly quantify the impact of climate change is it's incredibly interesting and i think eye-opening regardless of how skeptical or accepting you may be of the notion it's eye-opening because you can't deny yeah. sort of the science and, and the research it goes into just quantifying it um that's you know. right and it can be as simple as um you know, putting having uh, the cost of having lift well lift um, infrastructure at the bottom in the basement, and um, periodic flooding and costs like that, um, but much more complex than that. But uh, that's deviating from beyond our discussion today, Christian. But I'd just like to say thank you very much for your time. Really appreciated it, and I hope our listeners uh, learn a lot. So, I think um, for me, one of the key takeaways. Um, is uh, go on the PCA travel tours. Make sure your bosses uh, <laughs> support that and uh, you'll be able to learn best in class. Um, I think that's a fantastic idea. But, uh, thanks again, Christian. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, mate.